Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. But the deal is this, we are trained to pray in ways that, I know I am, I, I, you know, I, I pray in ways that I'm familiar with, comfortable with, I follow an agenda. And to change the world, and to change people's lives and change your own life, we have to change, at least in some areas, how we pray. And that's what this whole message is about. We have to change, and we have to learn that there's different ways to praise, and there's, that there's certain things we need to pray for, and certain ways we need to pray, and we have to change in some areas, the way we pray. I don't buy into a victim way of thinking because, you know, the victim way of thinking that says, I'm not responsible, this and this happened to me when I was a kid, when my past, you know, and therefore I'm not responsible or um, that's why I am the way I am or, or I try very hard and I really work hard and this whole thing isn't working out and other people dog it, it's not my fault. As if we're a victim, you know, I find no support for that victim mentality in Scripture. And the only reason I say that is because there are supernatural forces all around us at work. Devils are fallen angels. And that's where the war is. God tells us that through Paul in Ephesians chapter 6. But we are not victims. We are not victims, and here's why. We have weapons. We're not helpless victims. We need to look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. And I want to build up to this in Ephesians chapter 4. Well, Paul tells us not to live like the pagans. In Ephesians 4, I'm looking at verse 19. He says, having lost all sensitivity, they, pagan unbelieving people, have given themselves over to, uh, to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. And then he goes on to say in verse 20 of Ephesians 4, you, however, did not so learn Christ, or you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, be imitators of God. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, don't be controlled by wine, but be controlled by the Holy Spirit. He goes on in Ephesians chapter 5 and says, Wives, submit to your husbands as you submit to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives selflessly as Jesus Christ loved the church. And then Paul lays it on the line. I mean, he gives all these instructions for godly living, and then he lays it on the line. And he says, as we practice this godliness, there's going to be interference. I mean, the book of Ephesians talks about how godly he wants us to live. And then he says, wait a minute, there's going to be a war as we practice this godliness. We're going to try and win our little piece of the world for Jesus Christ, and there will be opposition, unseen opposition from devils. These are supernatural forces of evil coming at us, and here's the big deal, we can't even see them. I mean, they're there, they're waging war against us, and we can't even see them. That's why Paul says in verse 10, Ephesians 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's what? Schemes. For our struggle, listen to this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil now, I'm going to dwell on this today against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. And so we struggle, the Word of God says, sometimes with people in relationships, sometimes with their own flesh, 
But behind this struggle, man, I'll tell you, there are unseen, malignant, evil, supernatural forces, but we are not victims. You got to understand that. I mean, we're struggling against unseen supernatural forces, but we are. But in no way are we victims, and we're not losers either because we have spiritual weapons. We have offensive weapons and defensive weapons, and Paul, under the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, lists the, list the um, defensive weapons first. And I'm just going to read through this. This is verse 13, Ephesians 6. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, that means manna comes right home at you, that temptation. You may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. So what's the deal here? God wants us to stand. The whole object here is to stand in the face of this demonic attack. It's the object to stand. Stand firm then. And then he gives you the defensive weapons with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. What's that? The word of God. The breastplate of righteousness in place. That's living a godly life. And with your feet fitted or shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. And with that shield, man, you can extinguish all the devil's flaming arrows. Take the helmet of salvation, and so you've got all these defensive weapons, but man, we just don't have defensive weapons. We can honestly take the offense against demonic spirits. We can go after demons, and that's the neat thing, because now Paul begins to list in verse 17 the two offensive weapons that we have. In verse 17 he said, take the helmet of salvation, that's defense, and, the, you know, defense is extremely important because you, you, any sport, any sport, defense is the name of the game. Pitching is 90% of the game in baseball. Defense is very important, but we have some offensive weapons. Look at verse, verse 17. Take the defense of the weapon, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. Now, there's your offensive weapon, which is the Word of God. Well, let's stop there. Your first weapon against demons is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. I, that, that's a tremendous word. I, I love the way the Spirit inspired that, you know, the sword of the Spirit. And here's how that works, folks. The Holy Spirit's going to let you know when you're getting into some area of sin. The Holy Spirit will let you know in here when you're out of the will of God, see? Or go in that direction, out of the will of God. One time a friend who's not a believer, I've been praying for this guy. He called up and he says, I got two tickets for a Tiger game. And that was the year before they got good and went to the World Series. And I didn't want to go. <laughs> so I put him off. And I said, well, I'll see if I can work it out. I'll call you back. Now, I've, I've been sharing my faith with this guy. And, you know, when you share your faith, you've got to build into their lives, and you really got to, got to kind of have a connection with them. And I just didn't want to go, man. They were a losing team. I didn't want to go. And so, man, did I struggle with myself. I had a ton of other things I needed to do. And I said, Lord, I don't want to go. Do I have to? I talked just like a kid. I remember saying that in my, in my office, praying. In my, I said, Lord, I don't want to do this. Do I have to go? And I don't know chapter or verse, but these are the words that came to mind. I know now it's Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interest of others. And that settled it. So I called him and said, sounds like fun. <laughs> that was a lie. <laughs> I'll make the time. And as we talked about it, I was honestly looking forward to it. I said, we're going to have a fun time. We're going to get some, you know, some, some, some ball yard dogs. And I love that mustard you put on the dogs. I, I mean, so I was looking forward to it, okay? And then he got sick and we didn't go. <laughs> but here's the deal. The sword of the Spirit settled the issue. Because when the Word of God came to my mind, it came to my heart. And I had studied that Word of God at some point in my life. And I knew that Word of God. See, that just affirms the fact that when you need the Word of God, the Spirit of God is going to bring it to your life, right? And I needed that word of God just at that moment. Then you take that word of God and you aim it like an arrow and you aim it at Satan. 
You aim it like an arrow. You aim it at the devil. And that's how it becomes a sword, a weapon, the sword of the Spirit. And then you do it. You follow through, see? And so, so, so the first time, and you say, hey, you say, you say, hey, devil, this, this is God's will. This is what the Word of God says. This is will. This is what I'm going to do. And so the Holy Spirit uses, that's the first weapon the Spirit uses. But this series is about prayer, and that's the second weapon, and that's what we're going to focus on. This is verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 6. And pray in the Spirit. Now notice the alls here. I mean, I got every one of these alls circled. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray for me, Paul goes on to say. So we pray in the power of the Spirit, guided by the Spirit for everything on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, always praying for all the saints. Folks, point is we are at war with demons and we need to use the weapons available to us and we need to pray differently. Differently, we need to pray prayers of spiritual warfare. You know, first we need to know who's against us and who's on our side, okay? First of all, let's look at that. You got to know your enemy. The devil has limited supernatural power. Again, I want to say unlimited. God endowed angels with certain limited supernatural power, and Satan is an angel. I mean, that's all he is, but, but, but folks, I want to tell you, that's enough. He's just an angel, but that's enough. He has power that I don't understand. Folks, he has power that we don't understand, see? I mean, at one time, he was the greatest, the most beautiful part of all God's creation. That, that, that's Ezekiel, 11, Ezekiel 28, 11. But look what happened. I mean, man, he got corrupted by his power. This is Isaiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 13. Satan was this beautiful, beautiful creature. His, his original name was Lucifer, Lucifer. Lucifer was the, was the most beautiful of all God's creation. Verse 13, Isaiah 14. You said in your heart, Lucifer, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Stars are word for angels. I'm going to rule over the angels. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly. I will sit enthroned on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. That's heaven. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Now look at verse 15. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. God threw him out of heaven, see. And that was the beginning of evil, see. I mean, I mean, Lucifer was so consumed with his own beauty, his position, his power. He saw this beautiful creation and all the other angels serving God. And he thought, why do they serve God? Why not serve me? And that was the beginning of evil. Like I said, he plans a rebellion. And he enlists one-third of all the angels. How many is one-third? I can only take a shot in the dark. Trillions upon trillions. Upon, I mean, there's a lot of them. Maybe quadrillions. But you got to remember, two-thirds remained faithful to the Father in heaven. And God, who has all wisdom, knows, knew the plots, knew the plot and cast Lucifer out of heaven. And that's verse 15 of Isaiah 14. But you are brought down to the grave, to the, to the depths of the pit. And he's absolutely humiliated. I mean, he enlisted one-third of all the angels. He said, man, we're going to take over this joint. Man, I'm going to be God. I'm going to give you all these perks. And now he's thrown down to the pit, absolutely humiliated. And Lucifer becomes an instrument of pure hate and evil. His beauty turns uglier than words can describe. The one purpose of his existence becomes to get back at God. And how do you get back at God? You, you get back at God by hurting and destroying in any way you can the people God created and loves, and that's you and me. And that's Satan's mission, to get back at God. He wants to bring down nations. I mean, I go back to Ephesians, Ephesians 6, and this is verse 11. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's what? The devil's schemes. What does that tell you? He's always thinking. He's a schemer. He plots evil. I mean, he and his army of demons think about, they plot ways to lead us into sin and keep unbelievers in their unbelief. And folks, he wants to hurt us. He wants to make our life miserable. I like a Luke 13. In Luke 13, Jesus heals this woman. She's been sick for 18 years. And the Pharisees have a bird. And Jesus says in Luke, 18, Luke 13, 16, Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, meaning a Jewish person, now listen, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not be set free on the Sabbath day from what has bound her? 18 long years, he's kept her in some kind of a bondage. He wants to hurt you, man. He wants to keep you in unbelief. He, he, he wants to cause pain. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, deliver us from evil. And when you read that in the Greek, which I'm sure you all do, it doesn't say evil. It means that the word is porneia, but it's got an ending on, the, uh, uh, on that noun. It means deliver us from not evil itself, but from the evil one. In the Lord's Prayer, it says, deliver us from the evil one. Meaning, he is the enemy of your soul. He hates God and us. He is malevolent, insidious, evil, malicious, vile, and wicked, and that's your enemy, and he has an army, quadrillions of demons who are just like him. But you got to look at our great friend and defender and sovereign Lord. And man, Romans 8.31, this is our memory work for today. Don't go home without knowing this, folks. If God be for us, who can be against us? I could care less how many demons are against me. If God be for us, who can be against us? you got to think like that. If God be for us, who can be against us? Memorize that, man. In Romans 8, Paul also talks about trouble, hardship, persecution. Then he says in Romans 8, 37, In all of these, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. I mean, that, that, I mean the God we believe in is holy. He's righteous, he's good, all of which means there's no hint of evil in him. I mean, Satan is the incarnation, the very incarnation of all that is evil, and God is totally good. And God can't do anything but good. Now, this is your friend. This is the one on your side. I mean, his love for you and me is so profound, take it right back to the cross, that God the Father commissioned. He sent him on a mission. He sent his own son on a mission to leave heaven bear our sins in his person, and die a painful, beyond belief, death, alienated from his father. I pray that never gets commonplace. There's something else to think about, too. God created Satan, and he could just, he doesn't even have to say a word. He could just will him out of existence, see? I, 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 you got to know this. I have no power, nor do you. I have no power. I have no authority over devils. But God does, and they must obey him. And devils want to bring down God's people, and we have weapons, and one of which is prayer. And we need to go to battle against demons in prayer. There's a title to this series of messages I call, Change the World, Change Your Life. And when you change the world, you change your life, you change other lives, you change circumstances through prayer. That is so on my mind every time I go into prayer. When I go into prayer, here's what I know. This is so important that we get a hold of this. Here's what I know that I'm about to partner, remember the word partner, I'm about to partner with God to change the world, to change people, to change whatever God wants to change. And I revel in that. 
that God's honestly using me in this great cause of change. I revel in that, that the Father in heaven has given me and you the dignity, the high privilege and honor to partner with him in prayer to change things, to change people, to change circumstances, to change yourself as the Spirit leads you to pray. And that just, that just makes me tell you, you know, we need to ask the Father to direct our prayers by his Holy Spirit. You need to pray for that when you pray. And the Spirit of God will lead and guide our hearts and minds where God wants them to go. You pray for the Spirit to guide your prayers, and you partner with God to change the world. Man, I think about that when I pray. I'm connecting heart to heart with God, and the world, and people, and circumstances, and me, myself, and I are all changing because someone is praying in faith, or many someones are praying in faith. And if God chooses to use me and you as partners, in prayer, then the thought comes to mind when I don't feel like praying, what's not happening? What could happen, you know, if I pray? And what's not happening because I don't pray? You know, it's the highest privilege I can have. You know, I think about politics. I think about John McCain, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and they tell you they're here to change things. Please know, please understand this. Change does not happen because of who's president or who's not president. Change does not happen because of who is or who isn't president. Change happens because believing people come to God's throne of grace and they partner with God to change the world. Change happens when God's people gather to pray. Change happens when God's people pray. That's when change happens. I mean, I just look at Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, told the apostles, they said, don't go out and speak in the name of Jesus. If you speak in the name of Jesus, man, thumbs down. We're going to get you, baby. You're done. So the church gets together. Acts 4.29. Now, Lord, now here's what they pray. I mean, they gathered. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders. It's the church praying through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now listen to this. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. The building began to shake. They were praying with such power, baby, I'll tell you. Now look at this. And they, meaning the apostles, were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they went out and they spoke the word of God boldly. And man, I got to tell you this. If there's ever going to be revival in this land, ever be revival in this land, it's going to come through us as we pray differently and ask God to send out his angels and drive out demons. Because we are partnering with God, and to be a partner with God in changing the world is the highest of all dignities I have in this life. So here's how our prayers need to change. And I, 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 I pray like this every day. Many times my prayer life has changed, and i got to take this back to Exodus 17. Because the enemy, the Amalekites, are attacking the children of Israel. And so God says to Moses, the leader, he says, you want to win this battle? Pray and I got a special way I want you to pray. I want you to pray with your hands raised to heaven. Now, God said that. Now, Joshua was the general. He was leading Israel's armies down there fighting the ground war. Joshua and all those soldiers, all those soldiers were fighting the ground war. But Moses was up in the mountain, and he was fighting the spiritual battle. 
Now, when his hands dropped, you got to know this, the Amalekites got the momentum because that's how God wanted him to pray. Well, I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to read this, verse 10, Exodus 17. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses ordered. And Moses, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur, two other guys, his brother Aaron, another guy, Hur, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And, and they went up to do the spiritual warfare. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, when they got tired, the Amalekites were winning. They got the momentum. And when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone. Aaron and Hur did this and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword, but first the battle was won up there. I mean, you got to get the point of what's going on here. The spiritual heavenly battle had to be won up there before the battle down here on earth could be won. The battle against our spiritual enemy, Satan and demons, must be won in the heavens before the battle is won down here on earth. And that's what I've come to know and understand, and that's why I pray differently. you got to fight the battle up there first. That battle up there has to be won before the battle is going to be won down here. God the Father has angels, man. Untold. I said, how many? I said, the devil took one-third, maybe trillions, maybe quadrillions of angels. Well, God has two-thirds of the angels, see? All available for spiritual warfare against demons. 2 Corinthians 6.16. The armies of Israel are surrounded by the enemies. This is 2 Kings 6.16. And, and Joshua's servant is getting all bent. I mean, uh, uh, Elisha's servant is getting all upset. Look, look, look at the enemy. And Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes. Show him. There's more of us than there are of them. And all of a sudden, his eyes are open. He sees all these angels. I go to Daniel 10. I go to dead. See, Daniel prays for his nation, Israel. And immediately in Daniel 10, 13, God sent an angel. One man prays, and God sends an angel. And the angel meets resistance in the heavens. So the angel calls for a more powerful angel. He calls for reinforcements. And a more powerful angel, Michael, comes, who drives away all those other demon angels. And there was war because of prayer. There was war in the heavens. There was war in the heavens. Again, before the war is ever won down here, it's got to be won up there. And folks, we need to start praying that God would send out his angels to destroy the lies that pour into this land. I do this, man. You got to start praying like this. You got to name the lies. You got to say, Lord, you got to send out angels and here's the lies that are coming down into our country. This is taking a subtle deception series. Name them. The Bible's not the word of God. Or people think Christ is one of many ways to heaven. Or they think love justifies sex. Or that the church and state don't mix. Or there's no hell. Or there's no certain hope of eternal life. Or everybody's lifestyle is right. I mean, you name the lies and you ask the Father to destroy those lies. Listen, I, I pray. I, I pray and I picture this in my mind. I, I, I picture angels, demonic spirits, pouring those lies into our country. And then I see God's people in prayer. And then I see warrior angels just going out and swarming around and surrounding those demonic spirits and just blowing those lies away. I see this when I pray this. I've got this, I've got this picture, go, this movie running in my mind. I'm serious about that. And they drive those lies away because God's people are praying. You know what? I pray for a school system every week. Every week. And you know what I see when I pray? I pray that God would stop the lies going in that system. And I see a teacher, I see a teacher who believes in evolution. And all of a sudden he thinks, wait a minute, why am I saying that? There had to be a first thing, there's got to be a creator, there's got to be a God. Because I prayed. 
And there's some angel who's stopping a lie going into that teacher's mind. And I believe that or I wouldn't be preaching this. I believe that. I totally believe that, man. So I got to pray. Someone's asking God to fight the battle up there. So it could be one down here on earth. Listen, I cherish my freedoms. I do. I, I cherish this fact. I live in a free country. I live at this point in history. I live in the best of all possible times. So do you. I ask why, Lord, why don't I live in Kenya? Every Christian has to fear for their life because of militant Islamics. See, if you're, if you're a believer in Christ, God puts you where you are by design. I mean, you're in your family. You're in your job. You're in your baseball team. You, you, you're wherever God puts you at this point in time to shine for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean you push yourself on him. It means they see Christ in you. You tell them about the Lord you believe in. You are Christ to those people at all those venues and all that it means. See, you and me, we are in God's plan to change the world. And if every believer understood that this nation would still be the most Christian nation on earth, I'll tell you. I mean, the problem is not with evil. The reason this country is going down, no, nah, it's not going down the tubes. I'm not negative. There's a lot of good stuff happening, but the reason we are becoming morally degenerate is not because of evil in this world. It's because we are not praying. And we are not living our faith in the venues that God's put us. The problem is not them, the evil ones. The problem is you and me. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.